0: Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants and how they found their own software success. And now let's get started with the show. Hi everyone, this is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixer Gene, many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0-30,000 to journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.fm. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days, no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at OneStop.fm. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today, I have the co-founder and CTO of Turing Enterprises, Vishay Krishnan. He's the CTO of Turing, which provides a platform that matches companies to pre-vetted global remote talent and helps resulting collaboration be successful. Vijay will discuss on how Turing developed the MVP, how they funded that MVP, and gained their first few clients to go on from zero to 30,000 and beyond. How are you today, Vijay? Doing great, Jordi. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Nice to chat with you. So, give us a, a quick intro on to who you are, what Turing does, and what you do for your customers specifically.
1: Sure. So, quick uh, intro about me. I'm Vijay Krishnan. I'm basically, uh, yeah, I think the shortest summary about me is I'm a machine learning researcher turned entrepreneur, really. So, I have been in the field of machine learning for about 18 years now, initially in academia and uh, then in industry research, and thereafter. Uh, in the uh, context of uh, startups um, i'm at uh, turing i run a lot of different initiatives including a lot of our, including all our data science initiatives now at uh, turing what we do is we as you correctly summarized we source software developers uh, from all over the world automatically our platforms and puts them through a series of tests and interviews and this enables us to build a deep uh, profile of our various uh, developers we have more than 600000 software developers that have registered on our platform from more than 10000 cities around the world and yeah we for companies in the us it's a very seamless experience they tell us what they want we match them with these pre- vetted uh, software developers pretty promptly they can do a short call or screening sort of interview and make a hiring decision so uh, our value proposition to companies is what if you could get speed quality precision of match and uh, cost all of them done for you at the same time our uh, value proposition to software developers all over the world is what if you could live in any place in the world you like and still have job opportunities that are not very different than uh, your Silicon Valley counterparts.
0: Okay. That makes sense. So do you place specifically in-house developers or you do remote positions as well? So we do only remote. We do not do in-house. I okay. Mean, we do, uh, do local staffing uh, at all. Okay, so it's all remote. Okay, that makes sense. And when did you guys, you said three years ago, you started touring? Can can you sort of give us the uh, rundown on how you came up with this idea? It sounds like sort of a a headhunting application. How did it come about?
1: Right, right. Well, I think uh, we, prior to starting Turing, Jonathan and I were running another startup company called Rover, which was uh, acquired about four and a half years back. The, that was an AI startup also, but in a very different space. We did personalized content recommendations. Uh-huh. Now, when, uh, when running our previous startup, I think we faced many of these uh, hiring challenges firsthand. We never loved the idea of lower our uh, hiring standards just because it was hard to compete with the Googles and Facebooks of the world locally. So we found this other solution where we insisted that our hiring standards be very high, but uh, that we were a lot more open to supplementing our local Silicon Valley team with software developers from all over the world. Of course, uh, there were a certain set of uh, challenges in getting the mechanics of it going, but I think over time we kind of figured out some brute force way of doing it and and uh, that, that gave us a lot of insights. Like uh, in my in our previous startup, we ended up working with really strong software developers from Russia, Ukraine, Poland, Serbia, China, Romania, India, a lot of other places, and we started developing a feel for how valuable this could be, if only you could kind of get it right. So when it was when after our previous startup got acquired, and Jonathan and I were figuring out what we might do next, Mm -hmm. it became clear to us that the world had to sort of move this way. Of course, we couldn't have possibly predicted the pandemic or anything like that. But the one thing that was very, very clear to us was that the raw talent shortage problem was not getting any better. And that remote was really the only way this problem could be solved.
0: Okay. Did you say Dover? What was the previous team that you were working with? The company was called Rover. Uh, We
1: were a personalized content recommendation. uh, Rover.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, so, because the reason I asked is we had a uh, company called Dover, and I'm sure you're familiar with them. They sound like a competitor. George Carollo, he gave a presentation that sounds very similar. Do you know those guys, Dover? I do not. They do. They use AI and they essentially place talent as well. So you may be bumping shoulders with them uh, in the future, it sounds like. So... Tell me like the idea for the idea for this came about when you were first developing this was it how did the MVP start like how big of a project was this when you first got it funded uh, or and how did you get it funded
1: well i think uh, case given we were second time entrepreneurs and we had had one successful exit prior to this uh, certainly well we were a little, we were a little more seasoned compared to the time we started our first company uh-huh. Uh, we yeah we understood the game better we understood a lot better uh, what it took to get funded and everything so yeah given we were going at it the second time we got funded first like initially yeah i i don't believe we even had a slide deck uh, or a presentation deck when we initial fund
0: okay nice so and then did you put any of your exit funds into starting this or was it all how did you fund it did you just go right to some angels or
1: yeah yeah that's right that's right i mean we both johnson and i were entrepreneurs in residence at the foundation capital We, we knew the general partner, Ashu, who's now, who later joined our board, we liked the foundation capital, we liked Ashu and yeah, we, they, they led our seed round and a lot of other angels that we knew from our previous company and people we have built connections with over time invested also.
0: Okay. And so specifically what was the problem that you were trying to solve? I mean, I know it, you may say that it's, there's other platforms out there that places talent, what specific problem were you trying to solve or that you knew that it was a problem?
1: yeah i think the specific problem was really that um, uh, at least from the vantage point of a typical us customer they felt like they were they had two options at their disposal they could either uh, bloody their knuckles uh, fighting with with the google's and facebook's of the world with local hiring but in Mm -hmm. those cases they, if they did manage to make the hire, they felt like they could uh, ensure a certain quality of engineering talent and also a certain quality of collaboration due to the fact that the t- time zone uh, would be the same and they would be meeting the, uh, the other person uh, in their office and everything. So from the from the perspective of many people, it was like, okay, solve this hard hiring problem locally where it might be slow, it might be expensive, you may have to do a lot of interviews, uh, etc. And uh, But at least your quality quality of talent, quality of collaboration is good. Or alternatively, do cheap outsource hiring where the quality of the talent is dubious and maybe the quality of the collaboration is dubious too. Like I've had many people tell me things like, well, from a cost perspective, the whole uh, sort of um, remote thing looked attractive at first, but uh, later we uh, we realized uh, from a value perspective, uh, we we really didn't come out ahead at all. So this was a very, very common sort of this thing, a very common experience among very many uh, hiring managers in the US. Mm -hmm. and during it was very very obvious to us that uh, those were eminently solvable problems that uh, yes in a, it was very clear to us that the problem largely came because a lot of the the kinds of intuitions that a hiring manager in the Bay Area has are about how to source effectively in the Bay Area, how to effectively vet in the Bay Area, what does the resume mean, like how to how much weightage they want to give for a specific university, the intuitions they have built about the engineering standards at as a, at a specific company, what does it mean if you have worked at company X Y Z in the past, etc. A lot of the, those intuitions just did not exist when uh, when looking to hire uh, remotely from other uh, locations. So it was clear to us this, these were solvable. It was also clear to us that a lot of the typical collaboration uh, problems uh, too were uh, were quite solvable basically so that our intuition was that so uh, yeah i think our intuition was the following like we saw saw a lot of companies doing ai for local hiring we felt like these things were these companies were really kind of restacking the chairs on the titanic really we felt it was a somewhat efficient market the problem was not that they were already very competent engineers in the silicon valley that were working at the wrong company the problem was there's just not enough of them here so we figured that Uh, solving this problem locally couldn't possibly be the solution and mm-hmm. our thesis was that uh, most of the uh, problems associated with remote work were problems that uh, were uh, quite solvable and if, uh, if we could solve them then they would be incredibly valuable
0: okay and what would you say the what were the main problems with uh, that you had to solve with remote work was it that there wasn't enough talent in the bay area and you were trying to go outside of the bay area or what specifically were the with the problems that you that you were trying to address yeah
1: yeah uh, no it's absolutely correct uh, yes uh, while there are a lot of talented people in bay bay area i mean there's no question that in in raw numbers the maximum number of talented engineers are most certainly in the in the bay area but the but the problem is that the demand for them is a lot lot more than uh, this uh, the supply of such talent that exists here look so that problem of course exists but the problem with making remote work itself effective is that uh, well one should know how to um, they, one should have the capability to effectively source one should have a capability to effectively vet because a lot of the usual shortcuts one uses with resume screening doesn't work as well here like for example how do you know do you know uh, what are the standards of different software engineers, software uh, companies that are uh, in minneapolis or someplace else probably uh, or or in africa or in latin america or some some other part of the us or some other part of the world probably not uh, likewise often similar intuition with regard to the quality of different education doesn't quite exist uh, either so mm-hmm. if you had to operate in a somewhat resume-blind manner, how do you test people? That is a challenging problem. How do you make sure that what is normally done in an on-site interview over, say, five uh, five hours? Like today, if you were invited to an on-site interview at a Google or a Facebook or some such company, you would mm-hmm. probably have about uh, something like five to six interviews of uh, 45 minutes to an hour each, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, such a thing doesn't scale. You, you, uh, one would have to do some very significant resume screening ahead of time. If, mm-hmm. you, uh, if you want to uh, give a large pool of candidates a chance, then uh, you'd have to figure out some way to automate uh, big chunks of this interview process through various uh, tests and everything. So there, um, uh, there were challenges around that as well. And then uh, there is uh, certainly the challenge around effective, uh, effective matching because no two companies are the same. Different companies need different things in in their uh, developers to uh, be successful at projects in their companies. There's some uh, companies, for example where it's very clear that high, very high proficiency in computer science fundamentals, data structures and algorithms, all those things are paramount. There are other companies where those are maybe less important. But what perhaps matters a lot more is being able to deal with ambiguity, having a good product sense in, in addition to engineering sense, being able to effectively collaborate with non-technical people uh, in the organization. So I think the, the matching problem is, is quite a challenging one as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are also challenges with regard to making sure that a remote collaboration itself is effective because today, a large uh, n- a number of the world's uh, software developers have never done this kind of remote engagement before. A lot of uh, engineering managers have never quite, I mean, with uh, COVID, a lot of engineering managers are, are being forced to, but I think a lot of them still are bare developing a thesis around how to uh, how to run an effective distributed team. So mm-hmm. I think all these uh, pose uh, challenging problems uh, that have to be overcome. If uh, if any one of these uh, steps uh, fails, that results in the whole remote thing not being functional. It's it's like a chain with uh, you know multiple links. Any one link is broken, it just doesn't. It
0: all falls work. apart. Yes. So do you address some of the issues with running remote teams or were you specifically solving the problem of matching talent with hiring managers? We do both.
1: Yes, we, um, yeah. So uh, we have a collaboration product today that ensures that there is enough of a time zone overlap between the software developer and the customer. We do part of it through process, part of it through product. We, our uh, um, software also ensures that developers uh, do virtual daily standups. Communicate uh, their uh, tentative plan for the coming uh, week or two, and all of which gets emailed to a manager. So, from okay. first, like the number one thing important to making uh, remote work uh, effective is uh, over communication, and our software not just uh, developers constantly in the direction of that kind of over communication.
0: Okay, and. In the beginning, were you guys focused mostly on the? Are you guys from the Bay Area? Is that where you were really focused? So you were that you saw the there was the problem was acute there. You solved it, tried to solve it for the Bay Area. You've obviously now spread outside of that area. But can you speak to the early days of when you were rolling out? Uh, how were you gaining your first few customers? Because it sounds like you would have a traffic problem, right? You would have maybe you would have some hiring managers, but how are you getting? the talent to come to you you know and so that so that you have a good pool of talent to to offer to the hiring managers can you address how you uh, focused on the and it solved some of those early problems
1: yeah i think we i mean we engaged in various uh, forms of uh, various uh, type of like uh, growth marketing uh, mechanisms to get in front of uh, developers in various parts of the world uh, so that was uh, um, what we ended up uh, doing primarily on the on the talent uh, side
0: Uh, That's a bit vague. Can you be more specific, though, the various growth, 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 you know, like what were you doing? Was it running ads or?
1: Oh, oh, oh yes, yes. We, we, I mean, we absolutely tried everything and a lot of things work. I mean, ads work, job boards work, uh, uh, various uh, sorts of uh, things work and various uh, sorts of things have different uh, ROI. And uh, over time we have done, um, yeah, I think a whole bunch of those uh, things work. I think in the early days, it is important that you have, you have a meaningful uh, enough pool of uh, developers so that you, even if uh, you were to be fairly selective from that pool, you have enough high quality software developers uh, to go around in uh, with skills that the market uh, cares about.
0: Basically, mm-hmm. so were you, so were you advertising on job boards or did you create a job board? So we did all of them. Yes, we uh, we did
1: uh, post ads on job boards. We did we did run other forms of ads as well. I think all the standard growth marketing methods worked uh, fairly well here. This is not yeah. This uh, I would not say that the top of the funnel is is the most uh, difficult issue here.
0: Okay, so so, so the getting the developers wasn't problem, and how about on the on the back end getting the hiring managers? I know this obviously this is a big this is a big issue for people because I'm in the space as well, so I know people are always trying to hire and I'm trying to hire myself. How are you getting the, the hiring managers? I mean, in the beginning. Because were you handling it manually at all like an agency, like a headhunting firm trying to manually place or did you build the MVP first and then try and sort of solve the problems that way?
1: Yeah, I would say, so we never did a hundred percent manual, like what an agency would do, but there's no question that in the early days, our platform wasn't all built out or anything. It was sort of buggy. We had some amount of automatic testing, but large parts of our vetting and matching was still manual process. It is essentially over time that we figured out ways to automate more and more of what we
0: did manually. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, and how long did it take to build the MVP till you were like able to onboard your first customer?
1: Oh, yeah. So uh, I think for so for the first uh, Yeah. So in fact, I would say for the first, I want to say something like nine months or so, we were pretty much the only, cons- yeah, so I don't think we even took on any external customers. So we always took the attitude that when it came that we would dog food our own platform. So that is something we were very, very clear about. So we insisted that uh, we, we sort of keep hiring developers for our own platform to keep building our product. And uh, Mm -hmm. in a a way uh, that allowed us to experience a lot of the pain points uh, firsthand and keep improving it. And and even today, that's what we do. Like even today, we are a company of about 250 people here, barely about 30 people, uh, barely about 15 or 20 people in the Bay Area. And the other people are like remote distributed in the rest of the US and rest of the world. So the yeah so in the first year we were pretty much the, the only consumers of our own platform and uh, about 9 months later i think we started uh, opening ourselves up to external customers in the early days it was mostly people from our network at stanford uh, we had a lot of other friends running startup companies we were part of startex at that point startex was purely a stanford That's accelerator
0: is that yeah, an accelerated? Yeah. Okay,
1: that's right. So we had a, we we, have, we were connected to a lot of companies through Startex also, and uh, I think yeah, in the early days, with rega- for uh, getting us the first few customers, uh, this was this sufficed.
0: Okay, and so so it sounds like you did quite a big raise. Then is that is in the beginning? So you were able to bring on like how big was the development team in the beginning? So in the early days, um, in the
1: first year, it was, it was fairly modest. I think we had something like uh, six or seven uh, software developers working with us in the first year.
0: Okay. And then you said you just head down, head down. You just said, okay, this is what we want to build. You came out nine months later, you had a platform, then you, then you were sort of, were you using that platform yourself to hire your own developers or how were you doing the testing in the beginning? absolutely that that yeah. is exactly what we were doing and uh, yeah it's like the the better our i mean
1: in a, in a way it's almost like the the better our platform got the more competent software developers uh, we could in turn hire internally the more competent ones uh, we could hire it and the more the quicker we could hire the the better the platform itself got in a in a certain way so that dependency was in a way a, a nice it was a nice forcing function for us in terms of yeah it was definitely a much quicker sort of feedback loop than what we might get from customers
0: okay yeah. Uh, That makes sense. Now, how would you go about pricing something like this? So, as my my understanding is that this could essentially work just as well as an agency, like a headhunting agency. My understanding of that business model is they would say take twenty or thirty percent of the salary of the first year, which you know could be substantial thirty, forty thousand in fees. Are you using a pricing model that's similar to that, or is your is it cheaper, or where are you coming in compared to like an agency?
1: So I would say, in, well, in in our case, the most standard model is somebody engage, engaging a software developer uh, as a contractor, and we we do give uh, companies the option to uh, convert a developer to a full time hire by paying a fixed fee as well. So think, uh, yeah. So I don't think we are doing anything uh, particularly. Yes, our our costs are probably more modest than most agencies, but it's primarily I think the the quality of our talent and everything that that is our differentiation basically so yeah i think we are a lot more like i think our standard engagement would be a lot more like uh, probably if you're interested in pricing model it, it would look a lot more like a standard contract agency no less like sort of full-time
0: agency so Though, like two or three thousand a month would be sort of around what so a customer could expect to pay using your platform is that correct
1: it depends so much on what their specific uh hiring per, per user are. yeah so, so I'm not sure what is the exact type of pricing you're talking about. So t- typically in case of a contract agency, there, there would be a certain, uh, sort of, uh, depending on the type of software developer they are looking to engage and the duration they are looking to, to engage them for and everything. There would be a certain, uh, kind of, uh, this thing, there would be a certain amount, uh, build monthly that mm-hmm. is the model and, uh, during,
0: uh, as well. And do you have plans to go outside of software development?
1: Uh, we have considered it Uh, i think at the moment there is just so much to be done Uh, with regard to software development itself uh, i don't expect to be uh, diversifying uh, do do you
0: see that uh, if somebody wanted to do this with another vertical like say place it seems like it could work uh, the same technology the same business model could work if you're doing you know executives c level executives the same model could work eh?
1: I think it could, well, it could work with, I think once you start getting into C-level executives and everything, there is a sense in which one might face challenges when it comes to the, um, I mean, when it just come when it comes to the talent pool and uh, the size of the talent pool and where can you source such a talent pool and all that. Typically, mm-hmm. there is a, so today, again, I think it depends so much on mm-hmm. what is, the, uh, who who is the kind of customer you're going after and everything. But today, I would say there is no doubt that uh, Silicon Valley does have an, something of an unfair advantage when it comes to exactly some of these director level, VP level, senior executive type of level positions that Mm -hmm. you're talking about because Achieving that level of competence is not just about your raw aptitude, it, it also depends so much on have you gained the right kind of experience in the right kind of places, like uh, to become, one could probably become, you know, become a software engineer or a senior software engineer at, uh, at Google or, or Facebook by sheer raw aptitude, but to mm-hmm. become engineering manager and engineering director or something like that, one does need the relevant experience too and those often are uh, difficult to come by uh, outside of uh, hubs like the Silicon Valley. So okay. I would say, but that said, I think just to extend the spirit of what you're saying, I do think this is very much something that can be done for non, non uh,
0: verticals. Yeah, we think, uh, I mean, like see, CMOs, you know, marketing, whatever, ad execs. Oh, oh yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, anywhere, I think look, that's Anywhere right, where, that's where the pool is big, it could be even, and it could even be in, you know, like I say, a trucking platform if they're looking for people to drive, you know, drive trucks and things like that it could, it could work for that as well anywhere that the problem exists since you're a data scientist can you explain for us why the or how the the machine learning aspect works and why it's important because the little that I know about machine learning is it's sort of you need a lot of data why not just like why not just a database and use regular SQL algorithms and in and, and how is the machine learning aspect important for your platform just sort of go into why you decided that you needed machine learning for this and how do you use it in the platform?
1: Sure, sure. I would say one of the biggest drivers of of this is the fact that uh, we are engaged fully remote uh, hiring. So if we were engaged in local hiring, for example, often the geographic uh, constraint would be such a severe limitation that I don't think the the number of uh, possible uh, candidates that could be matched to any job would be all that high. So, for example, suppose we were looking to find full stack engineer with expertise in Node and React for a company in Sunnyvale, and they wanted somebody within a 10-mile radius, uh, and we were looking at somebody within a 10-mile radius who's also available and interested in hopping ha- in jobs at the current moment, we are mm-hmm. probably not going to be playing with a, with a very big pool. We might have mm-hmm. maybe 10 or 20 candidates, and at that point, maybe it doesn't even make sense to try to throw any machine learning at it. Mm -hmm. I think, however, uh, if a company were to be open to hiring from anywhere in the world, You can suddenly be in a situation where you have a pool of uh, many thousands of candidates at this Mm -hmm. point it is very valuable to have uh, some kind of good machine learning or data science behind it otherwise you would be squandering away that opportunity like on one hand it's very very attractive to have such a big pool of options to pick from but Mm -hmm. yeah no nobody can possibly uh, go through those options manually you can't uh, you you can't give 5000 options to person most of which are junk and tell them to uh, pick they would then say that well (laughs) if that is what your service is offering me i would rather search linkedin directly you really seem to be not so, yeah, that makes uh, sense. Here, I think the, the purpose of machine learning would really be to uh, try and pick who are the best five software developers, uh, possible software
0: developers for this uh, specific job. Okay, and without getting too much into the mechanics of the machine learning, can you just explain to our listeners why mach- machine learning would work well in this circumstance? Is it that you're matching certain pair pairing items? Like, for example, we need someone with React, we need someone with, you know, Golang, and we need, you know, like Google, cloud experience is that what you're matching or what makes machine learning specifically good for this type of a problem
1: yeah i think machine learning is is particularly good when you're dealing with these kinds of ranking problems with a lot of uh, heterogeneous uh, features so at turing there we have a lot of signal about developers both from the perspective of their resume uh, but uh, um, also in terms of their performance on uh, various uh, tests uh, at Turing, their history of past engagements, at, uh, at Turing, what kind of uh, customers did they do successful engagements with and uh, so on and uh, so forth. This allows us to build a very detailed profile of our software developers far beyond what would be obtained from a resume alone. For example, we might be able to tell that this person is a full stack engineer, but really front end is where this person's uh, primarily skills are. In back end, this person can kind of get by. This person is an excellent communicator, but this person, this person is passable when it comes to algorithms and data structures. Now, when you start having these sorts of detailed profiles it becomes like a standard ranking problem i mean it's almost like for the same reason why say google search involves the cutting edge forms of search involves a form of machine learning to get good uh, recommendations in your facebook news feed again there's a lot of uh, different signals to do the mm-hmm. strength of your friendship what topics do you click on various uh, things which uh, help uh, personalize the feed for you it's the same with a pinterest feed or something else this becomes again one of those ranking problems where there is just so much so many disparate pieces of information to go by and a lot and we have a lot of nice end-to-end data uh, today in terms of what sort of developers get end up getting successfully hired we uh, what developers that we recommended end up get picked by customers for an interview developers with what kind of resumes uh, can be expected to uh, score what percentile in what test, we have a lot of this sort of uh, data that allows us to, this lends itself to a lot of classic uh, machine learning approaches and techniques for much higher match efficiency. But ultimately the proof proof is in the pudding. If the uh, the real test is uh, when customers come with a certain set of uh, jobs, are we able to make hyper precise matches and are we able to do it with as little information as possible from software developers. So today machine learning not only helps us with the matching itself, it also helps us with the test design. So we think of our tests uh, today as basically mechanisms to uh, maximize information gain about software developers, basically. So today, uh, when, uh, when a human engineering manager does an interview, how do they do it? They, they spend maybe uh, an hour or two hours, but they try to make every minute count. They figure well i have talked with this person for two three minutes about this this area uh, sort of checks off i should probably not be wasting any time on this area let me uh, move over to this other area instead so ideally machine learning allows us to do the same thing with our tests as well like for example if there is somebody that has already published a lot of papers new reps and icml and uh, other areas our uh, test infrastructure should uh, skip all the simple questions to do with statistics and probability and statistics and should directly go and try to probe the frontier of their knowledge if there's somebody that's a fresh graduate from university without a, that sort of track record, it should probably be testing something else. And uh, if a developer has performed very well in certain areas, we should exploit correlations among different tests and different skills to uh, to again, not waste this person's time very much. You want to put people through the shortest possible tests that give us the maximum signal. So optimizing for this kind of information maximization, if you will, and I use the term information specifically in the, in the sense of information theory, what is really mm-hmm. telling you new stuff from a perspective of what will make them matchable. All these things lend themselves to
0: sound machine learning approaches. Okay, so in the onboarding process, you when you say tests, you're talking about actually testing the competence level of the developer. So, for example, they say they're a React dev- front end developer. You give them a front end. You give them a React test, and based on those scores, then you can place them with appropriate te- hiring manager. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. Okay. I, and
0: and how do you sort of give it? Do you come up with the questions for the test, or or how are the tests done? Because that's a lot of You know, that's a lot of information to build all those tests out. How are you building those tests?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we build a lot of those uh, tests in-house, but uh, once the test uh, questions are created, we have a nice uh, platform now to to, uh, test to, in a sense, score the efficacy of different tests and questions itself in terms of how well do they predict success and should they stay, should they go adaptive testing format to what kind of people should it be shown and so on.
0: Have you ever heard of anyone being able able to sort of game those tests? You know, like, you know, say they get the questions and they're out like searching on Google for the answers. Is that like, is there is there a way maybe somebody took the test, they take a copy of the, all the questions and they give it to their friend. I mean, is the questions always changing? Is there any way that they, and I'm not specifically speaking to your platform, but in general, are are there ways to game those tests that you've heard of or that you've experienced?
1: Oh, I, I mean, uh, all the things you mentioned, I'm uh, I'm sure happen in, uh, in in some percentage. And yeah, this is an arms race, just like anything else. Like mm-hmm. whenever any system is built, again, there are constantly people that are trying to game, uh, say, Google search ranking or trying to game some other system. And uh, this is really no different. I think mm-hmm. all the things you mentioned are fair. We have certain mm-hmm. kinds of measures to track exact this. And I think we do some sort of manual interviewing in the end. And generally, we have people that cheat to do get a out at some later stage of the process.
0: They would get caught, essentially. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah.
1: They so um, so they don't uh, that doesn't affect. Uh, end up affecting our matching efficiency but yes it is important for us to have enough enough anti-fraud measures uh, to make sure that uh, our process itself is not sort of uh, is not slowed down and you don't have sort of uh, people uh, cheating kind of overwhelming the system in a, in a mm-hmm. way it is one thing if you know if we have uh, say 5 or 10 percent of people uh, cheating and uh, who get caught later in the process that is something we can tolerate if it, if it becomes 95 percent probably it would be a very yeah. huge load on our system and our operations process and everything
0: Right. For any entrepreneurs that are thinking about getting into SaaS that uses machine learning, what sorts of problems do you think machine learning is good at, in, in your in your opinion, as a, as a data scientist?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you initially pointed out, obviously, more the data,
0: the better. That is certainly true. So would, is there any sort of guidelines that you think? Is it like any time that, like when do you move away from regular SQL queries and using databases, and algorithms like that, and move to machine learning? Is there guidelines for that?
1: So yeah, yeah, I would say generally, if you have a lot of attributes that, that are predictive of your outcome variable, then yes, machine learning is certainly quite valuable. Like in our early days, for example, there was uh, no, uh, no machine learning when we built our very first version, things were very much hand tuned, we we had certain intuitions with regard to how much a person ought to score in a specific area and all that
0: it uh-huh. is uh, in or, your platform, you're saying when you first when platform. you rolled out the MVP, even though you were a data scientist, you're like, we don't have enough data for this, we'll just That's do exactly regular right. SQL. Okay.
1: That's that, okay. that's exactly right. Yeah, in the early days, I think one uh, one has to do this. I think a, as you collect more and more data, there are various uh, sorts of things that uh, can become uh, more and more data driven. But ge- generally, yes, I guess the more the number of relevant relevant uh, useful parameters, uh, the better it becomes. Like for example, the hiring problem is certainly one of them because the. It might be very tempting to think okay uh, you're you're trying to place a place a react engineer all all that matters is this person's performance on a react test but no it turns out that for any specific uh, job it does become a portfolio of how is the person doing across across a whole set of skills so for example even for this hypothetical react engineer it is certainly helpful that this person all things equal a little bit more of a UI UX and aesthetic sense is helpful for such a front-end developer now uh, exactly how much uh, UI UX is necessary depends a lot on the job it does matter the better obviously fluency of English communication is quite uh, helpful for a lot of most collaborating with most teams around the world. It is obviously helpful um, for a person to to be able to take ownership, to understand business, to understand product, to to have a lot of those kinds of uh, soft skills. Certainly computer science fundamentals matter, algorithms and other things matter. So it ultimately becomes a portfolio of skills and now different jobs kind of have different requirements on what that portfolio should look like. But ultimately I think being an effective software developer uh, is so much about having a reasonably good portfolio of skills across the board and no uh, fatal weaknesses. Because here again, if you have one or two sim- fatal weaknesses, that will sort of uh, make it impossible to work with you. For example, you may uh, you may be a very good uh, front end developer, but if you're a terrible communicator, you're terrible at uh, you know collaborating in a team. Well, uh, it doesn't matter how good you are. And the same probably goes for uh, some uh, some other required skills as well. Like if your code quality is terrible and all that, that may again make it impossible for you to work with uh, somebody. So in this kind of a situation where there's a lot of relevant attributes that that matter and you're trying to discern some signal from all these machine learning does turn out to be a good approach
0: okay so it's mostly because you have so many different sort of attributes or variables that you're trying to match that's why so it's going through all of all these these okay it needs to be good communication it needs to have the skill the skill and you're mixing and matching with these large data set data sets i guess and so that's what what makes it specifically good for machine learning does it get too slow for SQL or it just, so? at some point it's just not an efficient way to use SQL?
1: No. Well, I mean, you can use SQL, all right, but then you still need to uh, encode what the rules are. And often you do not know what the rules are ahead of time. Like, for example, uh-huh. at your... We we have, we can over time build pretty good uh, intuition regarding what are the sorts of su- developers uh, that would be successful within Turing. But again, we have a pretty significant diversity of uh, customers in, in terms uh-huh. of customer preferences and everything. So, I mean, yeah, well, we do not know uh, what to put in uh, SQL, we do not know what that uh, ultimate ranking function sh- should look like for any arbitrary job. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, I think that's where machine learning comes in.
0: Okay, and how about in terms of your tech stack? Is there, what do you feel like the the best tools out there? Obviously, TensorFlow is a big name. What's your tech stack for machine learning, and what tools can people uh, to learn more about this area of?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I mean both uh, I think both uh, TensorFlow as well as uh, scikit-learn are uh, quite popular uh, scikit-learn uh, m- many people consider it to be a little bit
0: more uh, user friendly with regard to using it scikit I'm not familiar with that is that is that Microsoft's what is that scikit-learn
1: uh, I don't think no it's not Microsoft uh, so it it goes by sklearn it's who is it by I think it's an open source thing okay yeah so, uh, so, SK Learn is probably uh, even a little bit more uh, popular, I think, than... Uh, Sorry, than, what was than, that name? SK
0: Learn. Uh, SK Learn, okay. And they yes. make... Okay, SK Learn and TensorFlow. Uh, what are some of the other... Uh, what do you guys use?
1: We use both of these, uh, both uh, oh, SK you Learn. Oh, use both, as, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, there is... Uh, Facebook has PyTorch. I have been hearing uh, less about it uh, recently. But uh, I think both of these are quite popular in terms of here again, I think there are two pieces, right? Uh, and uh, I think different companies have problems that fall in a different category. There are uh, some companies where the modeling modeling is uh, the difficult part, modeling, data preparation, the whole uh, thing. There are other co- companies where uh, this is the easy part, but it is a, it's a part about uh, ML in production, which poses the challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, both SK-Learn as well as TensorFlow are are good from the perspective of uh, modeling, from a perspective of production, one has to look at one's own specific constraints there in terms of the software systems they are designing, is this supposed to be a real-time system where you want uh, like millisecond type responses or is it okay to have this thing, uh, to have more delayed
0: responses and so on okay in terms of your direction now what is what your you guys just what's your main focus right now in terms of growing the company and stuff what are some of the big problems that you're facing right now
1: a lot of things across the board i think grow software developers grow uh, grow companies make more efficient matches and uh, automate more and more things over time as we are getting uh, more and more data regarding successful matches, uh, developers signing up and everything. The potential uh, to do uh, effective machine learning uh, has been growing also significantly. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I have almost our data science team has grown something like fivefold in the last six six to seven months. And uh, again, I think we want to continue to double or triple our uh, data science team uh, in the remainder of the year. There's a lot of exciting things to do.
0: Yeah, I imagine too. In terms of your growth, are you, is it, are you still, are you cash flow positive, right? Uh, no, we are, no, we are not. We have been quite a bit of capital. I think we have raised a little over 50 million and in, uh, in 50 million. That. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, and uh, how is the growth going uh, in, in terms of the platform?
1: It's are you a, I think we have been, uh, yeah, we have been rapidly growing and uh, essentially continued growth will, will mean uh, will mean a lot of continued investment in uh, automation, uh, data, data science product and so on. Like a lot of, you can do a lot of uh, zero to one kind of things manually in a, in an agency like manner, but uh, um, if one wishes to scale very significantly beyond that, um, a lot of automation product and data science will be necessary.
0: Right. Okay. And I imagine COVID was quite a large period of growth for you as people realize they really had to, to move to remote more. Can you sort of explain to me how just talk to me about like how things went from say January to sort of June of 2020 how was how was that period for you guys
1: yes uh, that's uh, that's absolutely correct in fact well even before COVID I think pure talent shortages I think did uh, cause some companies to move in this direction but I think a lot of companies were still pretty reluctant to to embrace remote the way they have uh, done it right now, like in fact, believe it or not, if you go back and Google in Jan 2019, not 2020 uh, but 2019, you would probably mm. find articles that say 2019 is uh, will be the year of remote. So uh, yeah. I don't know what 2020 <laughs> would be if uh, 2019 was the year of remote. But uh-huh. anyway, so so we did see a lot of a gro- uh, lot of lot of sort of early adopters coming on board even in 2019. In 2020, I would say, well, in the initial couple of months of COVID, there was a little bit of shock in the market in the sense that nobody sort of knew what was going on. You had market crashes. People didn't know if they would survive. Uh, uh, Certainly, I think some of our early customers probably uh, might have gone under uh, as well at that specific point. But Uh yeah, I would say by by something like May or June, definitely uh, the market uh, started becoming a lot, lot more receptive to this. And the number one sales objection for Turing really went away like prior to this. There would be customers that tell us things like well everything about turing uh, sounds great except the remote part i do want a person sitting next to me in the office and once right. uh, that was no longer on the table certainly a lot more people came on board But I would say something similar probably even happened on the talent side. There were definitely people that were developers that were quite skeptical about the idea of uh, uh, remote work prior to COVID. Here again, Mm -hmm. COVID again caused them to change their mind. It caused them to say things like, well, in a world where I'm working remotely for a company in my city versus remotely for a company that is someplace else, what does it matter? I should probably just pursue whatever offers me the best career opportunity. So Mm -hmm. uh, there is a sense in which it certainly changed a lot of minds and maybe accelerated, yeah, COVID certainly probably in, in one year. Did maybe something like five
0: years worth of a shift to remote in in a single year? I think I think that's correct. Are you finding some resistance now, but with people wanting to move back to in-house developers, or, or are people more open, open so to the idea not, of remote? Uh,
1: no, we we have not seen that in any significant way. I think now it's like the it it kind of feels like the genie is out of the bottle. The mm. once people have kind of seen uh, the kinds of benefits that come up from opening themselves up to this uh, talent pool, and the fact that. A lot of misgivings they might have had about remote work were all eminently manageable. I think it's it would be interesting to see what uh, what happens in the coming months. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, um, from from our perspective, if anything, um, we continue to have a lot of rapid growth with um, uh, companies uh, c- continuing to
0: embrace this. Did you have any periods of like 10x growth or anything like that? Did you? Was oh, it yeah, 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 uh, yeah uh, sure. In our early days, um, I would say from mid uh, this thing, the, uh, from
1: uh, mid or rather late to 2019 to late 2020, I think we grew like 16x in that year. Obviously, those are okay. easier to do on a small base. Right, uh, right. Uh, now, I think we're, we are still in a rapid growth phase. We are probably, uh, but our base is uh, just a lot, lot bigger and uh, it's uh, difficult to do uh, 10x
0: growth. Right, when you're at 20,000 uh, subscribers, uh, how many users are you at now? What do you mean by users? Users, that would be your client paying uh, users. So that would be the the hiring managers. Uh,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the number of uh, companies that have hired uh, Turing developers thus far is uh, somewhere uh, between 200 and 300. And we are adding like 20 or 30 new companies. Or no, I think we are actually adding something closer to 40 or 50 new companies every month.
0: 40. Okay. So that's still, uh, that's still robust growth. And what what kind of uh, monthly revenues are you getting from that Uh, Uh, 300?
1: Yeah. 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 So at the moment we, uh, this thing, we don't, this thing, uh, this number is confidential.
0: Okay, that, that I understand. So, for going forward, do you ha- do you have a, any other plans in, in terms of like what you need to do to 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 grow faster? Oh, uh,
1: by far, I think our biggest uh, blocker is really how fast can we how fast can we hire internally? Uh, obviously, when it comes to uh, software development, the fact that we are this thing, we have our own platform uh, to rely on, uh, does make the job a lot easier. At so least it's in hiring
0: so uh, how many what's the breakdown of it so you said 250 uh employees how, how many of those are engineers
1: so uh t- today i would say something like uh, 40 or 50 of them are classic software engineers about uh, 20 of them are uh, data scientists and yeah okay. I, I think basically i think in the coming year we are looking to i want to say yeah minimum 3x our team size uh, maybe even 4x our team size basically okay. so so doing something like, I think last month we made something like 50, 50 new hires, we want to be in a situation where we we'll are able to do 100 to 200 uh, hires uh, monthly, and uh, of course now doing that. Right? <laughs> All doing...
0: using your app though, so you're going to be fine tuning with, with Turing, it's going to be running yeah. like a smooth, uh, smooth right, right. engine. Oh, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah,
1: I'm not talking about uh, the platform developers that are placed to our uh, customers. These are just people working on Turing's like internal R&D and that sort of thing. So, yeah, doing the uh, uh, doing a rapid number of uh, such internal hires every month definitely poses some challenges or uh, this often becomes a blocker to growth. Uh, like if you are able to uh, make certain hires in uh, one or two months rather than in six months, for example, that certainly means more more stuff can uh, get done quickly. And but uh, well, we have raised the capital and uh, we'll uh, We are basically hiring as fast as is humanly possible, as long as we are able to ensure... And uh, how's your
0: runway? How's your runway looking? How, How long are you looking? i think extremely long we we, we okay, need to hire so a lot, yeah. lot more the well, yeah. yeah yeah so the, it sounds like the the idea is to really disrupt the uh, headhunter headhunter business model you know the agency manual hiring are, do, are you finding headhunters are using your platform and sort of i mean who's yeah. your number one type of client type so we have all sorts of different client types i mean we have large enterprises with uh, 10000
1: plus employees we have a bunch of them we, uh-huh. uh, we have a bunch of we have a, a bunch of these uh, unicorns and Decacon uh, startups these startups with a few hundred or a few thousand uh, software developers we uh, we certainly have those sorts of uh, companies as well mm-hmm. we have uh, various other companies in in different stages these uh, seed series A series
0: uh, but are you specifically targeting agencies or is it startups I mean because can so, agencies use your use your yeah. platform as well and just sort of mark up
1: yeah, we have a very, yeah, we have a small number of custom uh, agencies uh, engaging us. Uh, I think uh, they are becoming a smaller and smaller percentage of, uh, I think in the early days, there were probably a few few more of them. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. now uh, now we have started, um, yeah, but uh, there's a small number of them that, uh, that come on board. I think uh, today, most of our agencies do some sort of, I think they typically uh, try to work with, some of these let's call them classically non-tech companies so for example we might have an agency that goes to this uh, larger uh, automobile uh, dealership and mm-hmm. uh, tell them hey how about uh, uh, you know we we do a sort of full service thing for you let's talk with your about your business needs and everything put something together once they they might have people with some measure of product and business expertise in terms of laying out a bunch of these things and when it comes to execution time they would prob- they would engage your Turing uh, engineers to execute. So the, that does happen, but, but again, I think that's becoming a smaller and smaller percentage of what we do. I think the bulk of uh, uh, what we do is essentially this well-capitalized uh, uh, company, either a large enterprise or a well-funded like late-stage uh, private company, has some significant R&D need, is finding local hiring challenging, and they really want to staff up their uh, team, and they are open giving this remote thing a try as long as the developer is high caliber and able is uh, as good as anyone they can hire locally.
0: Okay, great. Well, VJ, we're getting close to the end of our agreed upon time, so I want to thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot more about machine learning, and I wish you guys all, this, all the best success. It sounds like you're well on your way. Any way that people can reach out to you? What's the best way if, in, in case somebody has some follow-up questions or anywhere that you want to send people, any of our listeners? Sure, sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're a a company that is looking to hire high caliber software developers and you you identify with some of the hiring pain points I mentioned, then you may want to sign up on Turing.com and uh, book a call with us and we'll help you out it's the same again if you're a software developer living anywhere in the world and uh, not uh, right in the middle of a tech hub like the silicon valley but you want to be exposed to the world's best opportunities again sign up as a software developer on uh, turing and uh, we'll hopefully be able to help you out with that you can reach me personally at yeah you can connect with me on linkedin or you yeah you can email me at com. either works
0: perfect and is there a cost for developers to join your platform no no, no. It's, it's no cost easy. okay yeah. great yeah. so okay excellent Well, thank you so much for your time, Vijay. Uh, Thanks,
1: Jordi. Very nice talking with you.
0: Likewise. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordi Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner.